Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to our episode of podcast, Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod with Statsman and AJ Friends. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes. Great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's awfully close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. This past weekend, uh, I had uh, an up-and-down go of it in terms of my range of emotions. First of all, on Friday night, we had the Hall of Fame game, Pittsburgh and the Maple Leafs. The Penguins took the measure of the the Leafs. I'm sure I'm going to hear about that from my partner when he comes in in a moment. But uh, the real highlight for Leaf fans was the presentation of Boreas Salming on the ice. He's battling ALS, and uh, I know my partner's familiar with the disease, done a lot of great uh, fundraising in that space, but it's also touched my family and... uh, it's horrible what it's doing to one of the Leafs' all-time greats. And uh, so that was a real bit, uh, range of emotions by itself. But then the next day, I got to fulfill a career ambition. I got to in- interview one of my top sports idols in, in uh, a large setting at the International Sports Card Expo in Toronto. And uh, Daryl Sittler was front and center, the captain of Maple Leafs of an era where I was very, very fond of of a, a club and particularly him and his exploits. He's still second all time in the club's scoring leadership uh, list, but he meant so much to, to me at, at a very impressionable time in my life. And I told him when I met him, I said, I've been practicing for this interview for 30 years. And it went off without a hitch and uh, he couldn't have been more complimentary and nicer. It was really, really a, a career high for me in this, in this space, AJ. So uh, that was my, uh, view of things. I'm sure you had a, a lot of fun with the result of the hockey game on Friday. So I'm going to give you the floor for a second to talk about that. And uh, we'll get into the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Penguins coming out, finally breaking the the losing streak, getting that big, important win. Going to do it again tonight. So you know, it'd be easier if we could just play 82 games a year against the Leafs. We'd be the only undefeated team in the history of the NHL, go 82-0. and 0. Just stomping the leaves every night. I mean, for sure would have been a you know better playoff team if we had been in that North Division the year the All Canada Division could have just beaten on beaten on the Leafs ten times in the season would have been real easy. Listen to him go to town. Oh boy, <laughs> nice. Well, it's revenge game tonight. It's part of a group of games that we're going to look at later on in the show. So a bit of a tease there. We're going to go through all the games on the schedule and give our thoughts and our best bets on the game lines in our DraftKings segment. But before we go there and our 32-game team sweep around the league, we've got to talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies that went on on Monday night. And uh, front and center were a a couple of other three uh, Swedish players of note who made the the ranks of the Hall of Famers. And as well, there are a couple other notable additions too. Uh, We'll take turns profiling those people. And I'd like you, AJ, to kick us off with uh, your recollections of one Daniel Alfredson. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, career, mostly career uh, Ottawa guy for Alfredson. He did have that one year at the end where he played for Detroit, but otherwise you're talking about nearly 1,200 games for the Ottawa Senators, and that's what most people will know him for. Uh, Calder Trophy winner back in uh, 1996. Uh, so really a, a long-ranging career, successful really from the onset. Um, and, and really that kind of bucks where he was drafted. You know, you're talking about sixth round, 133rd overall. Um, you know, not a, a based on that draft position, not a player you necessarily would have expected 
to end up with a Hall of Fame career. Um, so, yeah, really uh, kind of long, impressive career for him. Unfortunately, um, no no Stanley Cup victories uh, in that list there. That comes from playing for Ottawa for, you know, over a decade here, but uh, nearly two decades, honestly. Um, so, yeah, a little, little disappointment there in terms of uh, overall success in that standpoint, but from a personal success standpoint, you know, really, uh, you look at his his numbers, very few seasons where he didn't at least get 20 goals um, and, and a couple of 40s in there as well. So a, a great goal scorer, um, solid assist player, and, and really just an all-around quality uh, quality player. And linked forever with the, the city of Ottawa as a longtime captain. They're still revered, and uh, that was nice to see a little bit of a tribute during the game the other night. When they, they reached the 11-11 mark of the first period, the fans started chanting his name, Alfie. That was quite neat. Uh, the next guy that comes up is Herb Carnegie, AJ, and, and he didn't really make the NHL, and it's very sad that he didn't because uh, the color of his skin. He is regularly considered the best black hockey player never to play in the NHL. Uh, he was a fixture at the top of league scoring in the Quebec Senior Hockey Association, winning the MVP there for three straight years in the late 40s. Following his retirement, though, he still made a contribution to the game uh, and was successful in the investment industry. He founded Future Aces, one of Canada's first hockey schools in 1955, and in 56, he produced the Future Aces uh, creed in an attempt to promote good attitude, cooperation, an example of sportsmanship among young people. The creed continues today within the Herbert H. Carnegie Future H's Foundation, which was established in 1987, providing educational programming bursaries for post-secondary education and legacy to Carnegie's groundbreaking work. Then we go back to the NHL for Roberto Luongo. Incidentally, AJ, it's worth pointing out that none of the honorees made uh, made it uh, as a Stanley Cup champion, but Roberto Luongo had a long and uh, productive career as a starting goalie, a workhorse-type goalie. Fill us in on some of the details. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most unique things about Roberto Luongo's career um, is, you know, he spends uh, five seasons in Florida, gets traded to Vancouver, spends uh, uh, eight years in Vancouver, and then gets traded back to Florida and kind of closes out his playing career in Florida, um, you know, for another uh, six years there. So really um, two very uh, long stints with the Florida Panthers. And to your point, Paul, you're talking workhorse workhorse goalies you look at some of those early years with the Panthers talking 72 75 76 73 games played so four straight seasons in which he played north of 70 games that's just not something that's done that you see anymore at at you know in today's NHL overall 600 uh, or 489 uh, wins in 614 starts so as you said a long and successful career, um, you you know you boil it down. Career NHL wins. He's sitting fourth overall. Career games played. He's sitting second overall. Of course, um, a lot of that due to those big years. And the only other guy that I can think of off the top of my head that played those consistent seventy game seasons, Marty Brodeur. So, uh, yeah, a long story career for Roberto Luongo, and really unique that he had two extended runs with Florida, having been traded. Uh, twice between those organizations. Then we go to the international stage, AJ, for Rika Salinen, a top female uh, hockey player who didn't play for either Canada or the United States, and that makes her a standout 
as a star performer who didn't don uh, North American colors. She's regarded as one of the finest European players in women's hockey history. Check out some of these numbers. In 11 years for the Finnish Elite League, she was a five-time champion in 135 regular season games. She scored 201 goals, 395 points. That's uh, 2.9 point per game average. Uh, and uh, that's Gretzky country, folks, in the female scoring. And to do it for a country that is not what was not one of the superpowers in that area just underscores the value that she brought to the game every time she suited up. So congratulations to Rika Salina. Up next, we have one of the Sedine twins. In fact, both of them were inducted. It seems their life in the pros uh, ran parallel all the way through from beginning to end, AJ, right from when they were drafted second and third overall in a coup by Brian Burke back in the day. But uh, give us a profile on the shooter of the two Sedine twins. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, to your point, Paul, really interesting to see uh, two players, you know, second and third overall, as you mentioned, uh, you know, in 99 and played their careers together. Um, an Art Ross Trophy win in there for Daniel Sedin back in 2011. Uh, two-time All-Star as well. 393 goals, uh, 648 assists in over just over 1,300 games. And really pretty similar numbers, you know, looking at games played. Um, Henrik, who you'll dive into a little bit more, played an extra 24 games between the duo here. So, um, to be able to have that sort of storied career with your twin is probably unheard of. I'd be shocked if that ever got pulled off again. Um, and and really a long, uh, successful 17-year career with the Vancouver Canucks. And hopefully um, it seems as though the two are still very heavily involved in, in kind of advisory roles with the team. But maybe more and more um, they can take on bigger roles and perhaps bring Vancouver some success from the uh, you know front office side of things. And AJ, credit to both these guys. They took pot shots at one another, not unlike what you do, you and I do on a regular basis on DraftKings and, and this platform. It was kind of fun to see that they injected some levity with uh, sideswiping each other with some of the comments they made. It was a highlight of last night's show. But Henrik played 1,330 games uh, in the regular season throughout his career and holds the Canucks record for assists with 830 and points with 1070. He also holds the franchise record for assists in one season with 83 in the 2009-10 season and points in a single season with 112 in the 2009-2010 campaign. So the Twins go in together, and uh, I think it's absolutely fitting. Can you imagine if one of them went in and the other one didn't? That would be a real shocker. But, AJ, that that was all the positive stuff that I could glean from from the, the Hall of Fame inductions, along with your comments as well. But there's one criticism that I still have and it may not resonate with you you're a lot younger than I am but I remember Paul Henderson the hero of the 1972 summit series when uh, when the Canada played Russia the first big competition on the international stage Henderson had a fine career in the NHL with Detroit and Toronto and a stint in the WHA as well where he's a pretty good scorer but he remains best known for scoring three straight game-winning goals in games six seven and eight to tip the scales by the thinnest of margins to Team Canada. And it remains the pinnacle of an international hockey history. And it's interesting to note that several of his opponents in that series from the Russian national team are enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame, largely because of what they did in that series. I think it's an absolute travesty that Paul Henderson is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, for me, Paul, my my travesty, uh, you know, I was just looking over the list of who's, you know, some names that could come up. First year eligibles for next year, Corey Crawford, 
Henrik Lundqvist, Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7. Um, but for me, the guy I always think of when I, uh, you know, consider who's being left out longer than they need to, that's Alexander McGilney for me. Uh, grew up in Buffalo at the time when he played for the Sabres. And so really um, a, a ton of respect for him and, and a player that I really enjoyed watching as a kid. Um, so hoping that he can get in here sooner rather than later. Maybe we can make a petition to get both these guys in because I agree with your pick as well. McGilney broke the ice for the Russian participation in the NHL, and he took a lot of uh, he took a lot of shots for it. Uh, it was a daring bit of uh, work that that even got him into the NHL in the first place. So for putting himself out there and having such a successful career, I'm right with you there, pal. Okay, that's enough of our uh, rant and reviews for the past week. Let's swing into our look at the 32 teams and what's going on with each of them. I will kick us off, AJ, looking back to games uh, from November the 8th to date. And we begin with Anaheim. They're losers of four of their last five. Look, this club's consistently giving up lots of goals against. In fact, they're the worst in the league by a good margin in this category. And the numbers are ugly. It's it's like four and a half, five goals a game every time out. It's... Uh, pointed out very graphically when you look at their top scorer, Troy Terry. He's got 19 points in 15 games. That's almost a 100-point pace, and yet he's a minus four so far. So really, they're having all kinds of trouble uh, keeping pace with what they're giving up, and uh, they need more of the offense to kick in at the very least. But some of the trouble is even noted in their top three defensemen in, in terms of the profile that Klingberg, Fowler, and Shattenkirk bring to the table. They've combined for zero goals and 13 assists, it's offset by a minus 13. If the veteran defenseman can't get it right, it's going to be more of the same going forward. In goal, John Gibson carries that unsightly 4.47 goals against average. Can you imagine the teams that were came knocking on the door to see if they could grab him? I wonder how he would have fared elsewhere. But the fact is, only two wins in 11 decisions. And uh, poor Mason Marchman. He was a, a rookie that I thought was going to do extremely well here, but he's being dragged down with the rest of his teammates one goal and six assists so far through 15 games for a guy I, I think still could be in the rookie of the year race. In Arizona, a pretty good week for them. Uh, Carl Vamelka gets uh, the three of uh, three of their four starts over the last week here. Nine four zero was the save percentage. One point six eight goals against average, including a shutout performance. And it's not just the goaltending this last week that was going pretty good for Arizona. You've got Clayton Keller. Three goals, three assists, um, with with five of those, or I'm sorry, three of those six points coming with the man advantage. Travis Boyd picks up four, um, and so yeah, starting to get a little bit of production out of out of some of their guys. Obviously, you would like more out of Larson Kraus. Just one goal in that four game stretch there for him. Shane Gossensbear, a player that uh, we've highlighted as kind of things had been going well, seemingly working out, pointless in those four games. Uh, as well. So, you know, again, you're not going to necessarily expect everything to go well at the same time, but I would definitely say if you are holding on to Gosses Bear based on that hot October start that he had to the season, it might be trying to drop him just two assists in his last nine games. And AJ, you've said it can't be all good for, for a team, but it, it seems to be for the Boston Bruins. They've only got two losses, and uh, they're on a current four-game win streak during which they've outscored the opposition 14-4. to four. That kind of tells you the tale. They're having no trouble keeping the puck out of their own net. And when you only have to score three goals to win, that takes a lot of pressure off the offense. And the good news just keeps coming for this team. I thought that they'd be in trouble until December or January with some of the injury 
that they had to concern themselves with right from the start of the season. But they got Brad Marchand back a couple of weeks ago. And last week, Charlie McAvoy rejoins the defense and he hits the ground running by compiling a few points in his first three games, as well as taking on his usual uh, big minutes load. So the news is all good in, in Boston, save for the fact that Jeremy Swayman, one of the two uh, goalies expected to go uh, from the start, has been dealing with injuries in and out, but even he's coming close to returning. So there's nothing but good news for uh, fans of the Boston Bruins at the moment. Well, there's not so much good news in Buffalo. Five-game losing streak for the Sabres after their strong start to the season, and that has seen them dip down to seventh in the Atlantic, which is a little bit more where I think we both thought they would be at the start of the season. Um, You know, hard to blame them on a lot of these uh, games here. I mean, you look at the five games they've lost, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Vegas, Boston, uh, four of those teams, so certainly – a playoff caliber teams, Arizona, the other loss there, I, I highlighted how they've been playing better. Um, so really uh, things need to kind of turn around for this club right now. You've got losses um, by both Craig Anderson and Eric Comrie. Comrie's goals against average in his last two games is over four and a half. So they're going to need a better performance from both those guys. It's going to be Craig Anderson going tonight. And I think that's indicative of the fact that it, Comrie's hold on this starting job was really probably pretty tenuous. Um, You look at the numbers, at least three or more goals allowed in eight consecutive games for Comrie. When they were getting wins, I think you can kind of ignore that, but it's gotten pretty bad, including giving up six to the Golden Knights the other night. So I think we're going to see a lot more Anderson uh, heading into the rest of the season now. Well, we're going to see a little less Anderson in Carolina, AJ. Some great segues so far. <laughs> Freddie Anderson dealing with an undisclosed injury. He's been out of the lineup for much of the last five games, and it's maybe no coincidence that Carolina's lost three of them because the goaltending now is in the hands of Antti Ranta and Pyotr Kochetkov. I mean, it's not all on them. The offense has kind of dried up. They've only scored more than three goals in one of those five games. So the pressure on the offense to do their part is high, just as much as uh, some more defensive responsibility. Everything seems to be going down the chute, but uh, every team seems to go through a bit of a downer. And if they can keep it to like two wins in the last five, that's not terrible compared to some of the other losing streaks we've seen already. But some other positive news, we got to like the way that Brent Burns has fit into the squad here with 12 points in 16 games played and a flat plus minus they'll take that from a guy who's mostly known for his offensive exploits and so-so on the back end and then two uh youngsters i'll say part of the offense who are leading the pack in marty net's catch with 19 points and andres vechnikov who leads the team with 12 goals and six assists they're taking some of the pressure off sebastian aho and toivo teravainen who's actually off to a pretty terrible start himself no goals scored and seven assists. He's in danger of losing a top six role if he continues down this path. In fact, he has uh, been relegated to uh, injury reserve is the latest bit of news that we've got on him with an upper body hurt. So uh, they've had to rejuggle their top six. And so Seth Jarvis retains a position in there. But Stefan Noison is a guy who is now part of the top line alongside Sebastian Ajo owing to the Teravine and injury. So keep an eye on the shuffling going on in Carolina. They're dealing with much more in terms of injuries than they had most of last season. Bit of a bounce back week for Calgary. They had uh, um, specifically Jacob Markstrom here had dropped uh, five straight decisions going 0-3-2 over that stretch, um, but now has, is coming off back-to-back wins. 
uh, to close out last week. So really kind of positive response. Now there's it should be a little bit concerned when you consider he still gave up five goals on just 29 shots in the win against L.A., his offense bailing him out on that one. It should also be pointed out that Jonathan Huberdeau was injured for three of those four games last week, comes back, scores a goal in his first game back, so you have to imagine that's going to boost the offense here as well. So getting him back going to be a key piece for the Calgary Flames. And in Chicago, you know, we thought that uh, it was a mirage that they won four games in a row early on in the season. It turned out to be correct. In the last couple of weeks, they've only got two wins out of nine games, so it's more of what we expected. And the big problem is, is in terms of offense here that they've only scored f- six goals in their last five games played. So that's a, it's tough to win when you're putting up soccer-like offense in the NHL here. And uh, there's a bit of a merry-go-round going on in the Nets with uh, the trio of Stalock, Soderstrom, and Mrazek having issues uh, in the early going. Arvid Soderblom, probably the best of the three, and he didn't factor in. In our pre-game, preseason preview, it was all about Peter Morazic and Alex Stalock, career backups and, and part-time starters who were going to juggle the lead. But Arvid Soderstrom has, has looked pretty good in, in his limited sample size to, to date. He's got a 260 goals against average and a 93% save percentage. I'm sure those numbers aren't going to stay in that range. But if you've had him in this recent run, you've probably got the best out of the hot bullpen that you're going to see all season. And uh, I don't know if they're prepared to to build on that at all. I think they're, they are where they're meant to be in the bottom of the standings. There are more injury woes in Columbus as Patrick Laine will be out three to four weeks with a sprained ankle that goes on top of the fact that Zach Wierenski is already been ruled out for the remainder of the season with a separated shoulder and torn labrum. Understandably, they put him on injured reserve today to allow for some other moves on the roster compounding the injury concerns. One player that you would expect to be uh, maybe to step up, especially with line out is Jack Roslavic. Well, he's going to be a healthy scratch tonight that comes on the heels of him having just one assist in his last seven games from a fantasy standpoint, more concerning than even the actual point production is just nine shots in those contests. And in fact, that assist came on the power play, which means it's not even a five-on-five production. So you can see why he's going to get benched tonight. Um, They are going to get Sean Corrali back. He should be able to return uh, after a two-game stint on the sidelines, but that's not going to solve the problems for this team. Not having Wierenski for the rest of the year, line out for up to a month. Jacob Voracek is still hurt as well, and I think really uh, it's – we didn't expect much out of Columbus, but when your best players on a relatively weak squad go down, it's pretty much the end of any hopes or dreams of making the playoffs. AJ, Colorado had an issue with finding a, a goalie who was going to be able to handle the workload when they lost their incumbent last season to free agency. Alexander Georgiev was a guy that they turned their attention to. So far, the returns are really positive for seven wins and nine decisions. Goals against a 2.70 and a 92.4 save percentage. I would say that that has answered the bell in the early going for Colorado. And he's clearly the number one over Pablo Francis in the Nets. I'm glad I got him in the Champions League draft that I picked early in the season. And uh, on the flip side, though, they're taking a bit of a uh, hit in the infirmary on the defense. They've got three of their projected starters on the sidelines right now. Curtis McDermott, Samuel Garrard, and Bowen Byram, a young guy that they have a lot of 
hopes for with his high offensive upside and physicality. They're all three sidelined right now. None of them is deemed to be a long-term hurt. And uh, that's not the case, though, with Valerie Nichushkin and Gabriel Landeskog, who hasn't yet to make his debut this season. But somehow still, this deep team has managed to win four of their last five. And the defending champs, not going to be an easy out going forward because they still have all those skilled players that are on the ice and they have paid attention to defense too, limiting all comers to less than three or less in the last five games. Over in Dallas, they got back Jake Ottinger this last week. Understandably, first game back after a four-game stint on the sidelines didn't go great. Gives up five goals on 18 shots there in a losing effort, but comes back for a road matchup with Philadelphia 38, uh, 37 saves on 38 shots in a winning effort. So you have to imagine that's what they're expecting out of him moving forward. And really, if you look at his numbers before he got hurt, every single game that he played in prior to the injury, two goals or less, including one shutout performance against the Washington Capitals. So I would think that they're looking at this saying, okay, one game back, aberration, we're good here. We should uh, be all set moving forward. And they are getting some offensive production out of the guys that you want. You've got Jason Robertson, two goals and three assists over the last three games. Joe Pavelski, the same stat line there. Jamie Benn with two goals as well. So some production, still pretty slow start to Joel Kivaranta's season. Uh, Mason Marchman is another player that I think there were some high hopes that he would be able to kind of gel with this team, there were very early returns for him again at the start of October. Marchment now just one assist in his last six games as the goal scoring that we saw at the start of the year has definitely dried up. You know, we're starting to see in Detroit uh, Steve Eiserman's fingerprints all over the blueprint of this squad. In the Nets, they brought together Billy Huso and Alex Nedeljkovic, two young goalies with a high upside. Right now, Huso very much outperforming Nedeljkovic to kind of take the reins in the net minding, uh, uh, volleying back and forth there. So I would give him the inside uh, uh, edge right now. And up front offensively, more of the same in terms of Eisenman's shrewd acquisitions. I mean, you consider the fact that leading the team in scoring is Dominic Kubalik with 18 points. Behind him is David Perron with 10. And then a little further down the list, uh, in seventh on the team is Andrew Kopp with seven. So that's three additions by trade of players who are making significant contributions to the offense. And you can't say that uh, same thing about too many other teams that have augmented their offense by making such shrewd deals. On defense, everybody was all agog over Moritz Sider uh, last year in his rookie campaign. He had a bit of a tough go in his sophomore season, AJ. Only five assists in a minus three in 15 games played. But people who have slept on Philip Ronick forgot that he was the guy that was tending the offensive load uh, in large part before Sider came around. And he's had a bit of a bounce back campaign so far with 10 points overall, including four power play assists. So maybe Sider, if he doesn't get his act together, might lose some of the reps that he was guaranteed almost on the power play and Ronick is taking an uptick. So anybody who took a chance on him is being rewarded handsomely in the early going. Another player who's going to be continuing to lose some reps, I think is Jack Campbell. You're looking at the numbers again, another disappointing week for him. One and one is the record. Eight, seven, zero is the save percentage. Meanwhile, Stuart Skinner wins his only out 
uh, outing of the week at .952 and really has generally outplayed Campbell for much of the season. You're looking at 10 starts for Jack Campbell, six and four, sub 900 save percentage. Meanwhile, Stuart Skinner, uh, six starts for him. Three and three is the record with a 932 save percentage. And look, with this team, as I've always said, if your save percentage is really just north of nine, you should be able to win some games here. Now, obviously, the Evander Kane injury is a hit to this club's depth. It means you're seeing, you know, instead of Ryan Nugent Hopkins being on the third line center where we saw him at the start of the year, he's back to playing on the wing. Warren Fogle, Dylan Holloway have both gotten opportunities in the top six here as well. And part of that is also hurt by the fact that Kaylor Yamamoto is out as well. So the the Kane injury is having an impact. But at the end of the day, when you have still these offensive dynamos in McDavid and Drysaddle, as long as your netminder should be able to keep the save percent north of nine, you should rack up some wins. And right now, Jack Campbell is just not doing that. And in Florida, they got some good news from the infirmary, infirmary as Aaron Ekblad rejoined the club. That gives them their top offensive and defensive defensemen all in one back in the fold here. But a tip of the hat in this corner to Brandon Montour, who filled in uh, admirably as the linchpin on the back end in both of those areas. He has 15 points in 13 games played, along with a plus five and 41 shots on goal. That's over three per game. So he has done everything and more to fill in for the absence of that Blad. And maybe the absence will uh, uh, will have given him confidence to continue and give them a real a second really solid score going forward that wasn't anticipated by me when uh, we looked at the beginning of the season. So Montour, big difference. And uh, Carter Verhage is a guy that continues to be a, a low price tag in DFS play, AJ, but he's a guy who is continuing to thrive on Alex Barkov's wing. Got 14 points in 15 games played. It's time to really start believing in this guy uh, as a capable scorer unto himself. For the Los Angeles Kings, it's uh, been a pretty productive week in terms of the offensive side of the ice here. Kevin Fiala, three goals, one assist. Uh, Philip Deneau with four points. Arthur Kyliev, four points as well. Drew Doughty picking up four helpers along the way. So really, a lot of the guys that you expect to produce on this team are doing so. If you wanted to get super picky, you could maybe say four games without a goal for Victor Arbison is a bit of a concern, but he had two helpers over that stretch. So I really think this is a team and overall uh, is performing well. You consider the fact that Alex Iofalo continues to be you know, sidelined since the early part of the season. He was expected to be a major piece of this offense, showed it off with five points through the first four games of the year. Um, you know, we're looking at potentially uh, a late, late November return for him. So they're trending in the right direction. But if they're getting offense without Iafalo in there, uh, I think that only means good things for them moving forward as they continue to kind of shuffle around the top nine. You know, right now we have Kevin Fiala uh, in a third line role, but easily he can move up during a game or for one game, depending on matchups, into a top six uh, and ha- should continue to probably be one of their bigger producers on this team moving forward. AJ, in Minnesota, I was a little bit concerned about their defensive structure. That, that's something of a, 
fundamental to this team over the last couple of years. And it was a big reason for a slow start, but they seem to have righted the ship, at least in terms of the goals against. I look at their game logs and there's only one where they exceeded three goals against in their last seven. And there's four of them where they were one or less. So things are looking more normal when you're looking at the box scores for this club. And they've augmented things in front of them with, as we know, some really nice offensive pieces, the most signature of which is Kirill Kaprasov, who's having a fine start to his season, 10 goals in 15 games and 17 points overall. But the lingering impact of that struggling defense is reflected in his minus five. I'm sure that number will flip into positive in the coming weeks. But uh, we also talked glowingly of Kale Addison, a rookie who has uh, gone beyond the 10-game mark, so he'll be with them for the regular season uh, in its entirety. He's got eight assists, but a minus nine uh, on the flip side there. Jared Spurgeon is a guy who's taken a bit of a hit with his offensive numbers, only five in 15 games played, seeding key ice time to Addison. So you might want to adjust your sights if you were banking on him, getting a lot of power play points. He has none to date, and he may not get a chance in this mix as long as Addison continues to do what he does. He's got six points there. And in terms of another thing that is impacting the structure of this team, Ryan Hartman is on the injured list, and his, his injury is something of an upper body hurt, and he's been ruled out for a few more games than I expected, but uh, I think he should be back within a week or so, AJ. He's missed six games, and don't forget, when he's back, he's likely going to jump right back into a top-six opportunity, and that might be costly to Marco Rossi, who's filling one of those roles, and Frederick Cadros uh, manning the other one in terms of the top-scoring centers here. Well, in terms of scoring for Montreal, it has come from a source that had been really quiet to start the year, Mike Hoffman, First uh, uh, nine games of the season, just one goal, one assist, gets benched for two games. Since then, four goals, and the shot totals have been really the most uh, impressive part here. Three or more in all four games for 15 total in those four contests. And look, I would not have blamed you if you dropped Mike Hoffman in your fantasy league uh, heading, you know, once he got that healthy scratch for two games. I just looked it up. He's actually available in my league. Um, So if you're out there, it might be a good time to bite on Mike Hoffman. The shot total numbers uh, alone are telling the story here for me, but you add in the four goals. Our friend Anna Dua from NHL.com recommended Hoffman for her DFS lineup tonight. So there's a little tip for you as well if you want to do that. Um, But I think Hoffman, a bit of a resurgence here after that scratch. They do have some injury concerns in Montreal. Both Jonathan Druin and Joel Armia are going to be sidelined, at least for tonight, with upper body injuries. The team hasn't provided a ton more information on whether this is a long-term or short-term issue. But for tonight, at least, those two are out of the lineup, uh, and they'll have to turn even more heavily on a guy like Mike Hoffman. AJ in New Jersey, they must be dancing in the streets. They are rolling along as one of the hottest team in the league, I'll say. After losing their first two games, they've only lost one in their next 13. So they're well atop in the Metropolitan Division, and I think they could be there for a while. I had them pegged as one of the top teams in this loop at the beginning of the season, and we're starting to see why. They have had solid goaltending with Vitek Vanasek and Mackenzie Blackwood, the latter of whom is on the injured reserve list right now. But yeah, Kira Schmidt has been brought up and he's filled in admirably to keep that one-two punch intact. Where I think that they are thriving is just the quality of, of this 
the defensemen they have, Dougie Hamilton, John Marino, David Severson, and Ryan Graves, all capable puck movers, all blessed with an abundance of offensive skill, but also familiar with responsibilities in defensive end. It's a young defense core, AJ, but they really have taken great, great strides and in support of an offense that is healthy with the likes of Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes doing their thing. We know that this was going to be a dynamic one-two at center, and those two guys are filling that bill very capably right now, too. Well, the Nashville Predators continue to struggle. It's why they find themselves sitting seventh in uh, the Central Division right now, four, six, and zero oh in their last ten games. And you look at the the offensive production for the month of November. So I'm not looking just this last week. Month of November, Phil Forsberg decent, eight points uh, in in six games. But you've got top goal scorers over this stretch uh, of November. Jordan Gross, the defenseman, Mark Jankowski, uh, uh, you know, Nino Niederreiter, Ryan Johansson, two goals apiece. You expect them to produce. And then a list of a few other guys with one goal. But that's not what this is supposed to be, right, for this team. It shouldn't be a defenseman like Jordan Gross being almost your top goal scorer. And that guy only played in three games over, over this month. So they're just not getting production out of the right people. Matt Duchesne, four points in six games. Yeah, it's fine, but just one goal over there. Tanner uh, Genot, zero points over those six games. Uh, and just not enough production out of some of these guys. They haven't been, like, seriously banged up. There haven't been a lot of, like, extended injury stints for any of these teams. So uh, I just wonder if they're just not a deep enough club here um, to really, you know, get through this, uh, you know, these slumps, they're going to need somebody to find something in order to start winning games. And with the Islanders, AJ, I'll begin by saying there's no uh, red crosses on the injury list for their lineup this week. That's one of the few of the NHL, maybe the only one that I've seen, I've seen uh, at this point <laughs> in the season. They're very healthy, and the one-two punch at center is doing what they do in spades. Uh, Brock Nelson is more of a shoot first center, nine goals and nine assists for 18 points. He's tied with Matthew Barzell. Get this, no goals, 18 assists in 17 games played. So playing the ultimate playmaker role at center uh, on the, the top unit there. And uh, it's the beneficiaries of, of that uh, spade work, Anders Lee, uh, primarily with eight goals and eight assists. And then the rest of the scoring is pretty much spread out across the roster with next up four guys with five goals, including Noah Dobson from the blue line. So they're getting all kinds of scoring and uh, very sound defensive structure, which is their hallmark. And it's no wonder they've only lost two of their last 11 games. The Rangers are another team that's getting plenty of offensive production out of their squad. You've got Adam Fox, Eight points in their last four games. Philip Hedel with five. Artemi Panarin with five. Surprisingly, no goals, right? Um, all assists in, in those four games, which is definitely a surprise for a player that you think of, or at least I think of, as a goal scorer, not necessarily the, the playmaker here. And Barkley Gaudreau has stepped into a somewhat bigger role for them of late. He's got four points. Vitaly Kratsov was dealing uh, with a, uh, a upper body injury came back for two games, has been out again, uh, ill, got scratched a couple times in there. So he struggled to really get into the lineup, and they shuffled some things around, but they've landed on Barclay Goudreau playing with Vinny Trocek and Artemi Panarin, and it's so far paid off. I think the upside to that is you're keeping the young young guy line, whatever you want to call it, 
of Alexis Lafreniere, Philip Hito, and Capocaco together. They've played really well overall as a, as a trio. So I think you're better off moving a guy like Gaudreau into a top assignment like that to keep those younger guys together and kind of gelled. So it's been a really solid offensive week for them. Of course, you've got Shesterkin, seven goals allowed in three games, picks up two wins, uh, certainly doing uh, his part as well. This is going to be a very difficult Rangers team to beat um, because both the net mining and the offense are rolling together. Still only sitting fourth, but again, this is the Metropolitan Division. It's a nightmare, especially when you consider, Paul, as you mentioned, New Jersey is up at top, having played so well. Um, we both put them, I think, in top four in contention for a playoff team. So when you've got a really, you know, a, a club like that that starts performing well, it makes this just that much harder of a division. And uh, when you're in a tough division, you can't afford a sustain a long losing streak. But that's what's happened in the Ottawa Senators. They've lost eight of their last nine. It's happened oddly at a time where Cam Talbot has rejoined the fold. He was pencil in as their top goalkeeper in the preseason situation. Anton Forsberg performed very admirably in his absence, but he's been nicked up of late and sidelined. I expect both of them to be healthy going forward this week, but uh, you can't say the same thing for what's happening on the defense in front of them. Artem Zub, arguably their best defensive defenseman, is sidelined, and more critical is Thomas Shabbat, who's a guy that regularly eats up over 25 minutes a game for this club, manning their top power play. He's sidelined with a concussion, and we all know that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty around recovery time for concussions, and he's a linchpin of that team in so many of their offensive starts, as well as the PK, so PP rather than, and that's a huge, huge blow for this team, and uh, uh, they'll, they'll be struggling in his absence, I'm pretty sure. Well, Philadelphia is dealing with a handful of absences themselves, it seems like, every week. They've got another one that pops up. This time it's going to be Wade Allison on injured reserve, expected to miss three weeks. They're still without Cam Atkinson, who is listed as out indefinitely. Obviously, Sean Couturier, after back surgery, we're not expecting him back until closer to February. They've also got injuries to Patrick Brown, who could be nearing a return. He's currently down in the minors on an AHL conditioning assignment, trying to work his way back. So they are starting to really pile up these injuries among their forward complement. Uh, Carter Hart has suddenly stumbled a little bit of late. He had two losses this last week, gave up three goals in each of those. We've seen a little bit more of Felix Sandstrom because of that. Um, his numbers not significantly better, went one and one. Another player, sub nine, uh, nine save percentage here for them. So the goaltending has been middling at best. They're running out of forwards to put into this lineup. So they could really use some good news in Philadelphia. Uh, and Patrick Brown would be at least a step in the right direction towards getting healthy if he can come back soon. Okay, partner, let's take a pause to give our sponsors some airtime. We'll be back with some more news and notes from the rest of the teams around the league before we get into our Rotowire Sports, uh, I mean, our Rotowire DK Sportsbook segment. You're listening to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, we're back. Let's have another reminder for ways our listeners can reach out to us during the week. And a word from our top sponsor. Over to you, AJ. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. We are in the midst of the NFL season, about the halfway mark here. NHL season in full swing. Uh, NBA is off and running as well. And look, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we are uh, less than five days from the World Cup So there are plenty of sports to bet on right now, and it is the best time to try Caesar Sportsbook. Today, anyone who is at least 21 years old and in a licensed Caesar Sportsbook state 
can create a new account and redeem the Caesar Sportsbook promo code ROTO15. That's R-O-T-O-1-5. Promo code gives new users a free, a risk-free bet, rather, uh, up to $1,500. Visit Caesars.com slash sportsbook or download the Caesar Sportsbook app today. And don't forget to use promo code ROTO15 when signing up. As Paul mentioned, we love uh, talking all things hockey, of course, over on Twitter, where you can follow me at AJ Scholes, and you can follow Paul at Statsman22. But we are down to talk pretty much any sporting needs you might want. Uh, if you are interested in World Cup or knowing where to find World Cup coverage uh, on Rotowire, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, if you want some NBA advice or uh, off-season baseball talk, Paul is your guy there as well. Again, that's at AJ Scholes24 for myself and at Statsman22 to reach out to Paul. And if AJ's sounding a little more chipper than usual, it's not only that his Pittsburgh Penguins took the measure of the lease, but on the weekend, his Green Bay Packers shocked me by defeating my Dallas Cowboys. So you've had the light, an upper hand on me in a couple of different games, AJ. I'm looking for the tables to turn, and uh, I want you to tell me why I should be fearful of your Penguins with your profile on what's happening with them in the past week. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the the biggest thing that we've seen – um, and really kind of almost for the first time in Pittsburgh here, Jason Zucker really has hit his stride this season off to a very solid start. Five points this last week. Unsurprisingly, four points for Evgeny Malkin as well. Those two are pairing up uh, really quite well. Of course, Sidney Crosby continues to produce. Jeff Carter is healthy, which I think is a game changer for the Penguins. There is a chance that Teddy Bluger would be available. He's technically listed as a game time decision tonight. He would step into the fourth line center role. And then they'd finally, for the first time this year, have all four of their centers healthy and available. So I really think uh, they are starting to hit their stride here. The concerning part continues to be the play of Tristan Jari. Casey DeSmith has outperformed him of late, which is why we are going to get more Casey DeSmith tonight. I know that's not what you wanted to hear, Paul, since he <laughs> took out your Leafs. Uh, he was the the starter of record against your Leafs, gave up just two goals on 30 shots. So he's got two wins in a row, and they're going to stick with him right now. And that's just where this team is at, right? They cannot afford an extended losing streak to let Jari play through some issues that he may be having here. They need wins. They need to get back into a playoff position here. And right now, Casey DeSmith is how they're doing that. And then why don't you take us into the views on the Seattle club as well? I want to get back in order, but I wanted to ch- you to chime in <laughs> on the Penguins there. So uh, Seattle's having a good season, better than we thought. Uh, how are they doing of late? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Seattle, uh, as you said, Paul, better than I think we thought. They're sitting third right now in the Pacific, um, puts them ahead of Edmonton and Calgary, both of whom uh, would be playoff teams. And I don't know, maybe I have a soft spot for him. We can talk on it later, but I expected Vancouver to be uh, more in contention here right now. But uh, six, three and one in the last 10 games is the record for the Seattle Kraken here. Um, and just, you know, it's not there's nothing there's, you know, no high profile piece, really, this lineup. Um, you know, Andre Burakovsky, Alex Wenberg, Jaden Schwartz are your three, you know, first line guys. Obviously, Matty Beneers is stepping into his own, playing with Jared McCann and Jordan Eberle. Um, this isn't a wow factor team. You know, Marty Jones is their starting netminder, right? Like we've talked about his struggles over the last several years. Um, he seems to be kind of finding something again here. 
So they're, they're just going to kind of chip away and keep, you know, racking up wins. Do I think they're going to be a playoff team at the end of the season? I still say no at this point um, because of that lack of real wow factor here. And I don't know how long Marty Jones can carry you. Um, but for now, they're doing what they need to and, and getting some wins. Absolutely. And uh, when we're talking about the next club, San Jose Sharks, we know that this is a team that's not likely to be in the postseason, but they are – Uh, they've come off a couple of wins after a five-game losing streak, and it's because their offense is still able to score goals. Even though they went on a prolonged losing streak, they've been able to score at least three goals in their last eight games. And so anybody that takes this team lightly might be in for a surprise. It's the veterans up front who are carrying a lot of that mail. Uh, Of course, the leading scorer on the team is Eric Carlson from the defense position. And there's been some talk, AJ, I don't know how realistic it is, but that he might have some value in trade, but he's got four more years at a cap hit that has eight figures in it. And I don't know of any team that's got an appetite for that sort of thing, unless they see a lot more in terms of a sample size. Uh, can he continue what he's doing now? He's on the wrong side of 32. And so uh, I don't know how tradable that deal is, but for now they're going to enjoy the fact that he's leading the team in scoring. And right behind him, I said, there's some veterans that are carrying the offensive load. It's the familiar names of Timo Meyer, Thomas Hurdle, and Logan Couture, all of whom are also eating up large uh, amounts of the salary cap. They've got to fill in underneath these guys. And one guy who's trying to make that happen is Nico Sturm brought over uh, to fill in a top six role if possible or at least augment the forward depth he's got six goals to his record but only one assist they'd like to see more playmaking from the center position down in the lineup and uh, he has to be one of the guys that they're going to count on but a uh, few question marks there also in uh, in early trade talks is James Reimer for a team that's looking for a goalie Uh, of some quality and some experience to be a backup guy. That's a name you might want to keep an eye on so far this season four, five and one is the record, but the uh, peripheral numbers, 288 goals against and 90.8 save percentage, not too bad at all for a team that's lacking in a little bit of defensive structure. Those numbers would be even better on a, on a more defensive minded team. Last week, we talked about the St. Louis Blues being on an extended losing streak. They now have flipped that script, at least for the short term, with three consecutive wins. And again, two of those coming against tough competition in Vegas and Colorado. So big wins for them. Unfortunately, they dug themselves a pretty sizable hole. So they, despite those three consecutive wins, are still sitting last in the Central and are going to have some work to do to climb out of their um, and some of that is, you know, obviously going to depend on Jordan Bennington, who was uh, between the pipes for all three of those games. 2.33 was the goals against average, 9.38 save percentage. So solid numbers out of him. He's going to need to keep that up and keep them going. Offensively, looking at guys like Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich, Ryan O'Reilly, all of whom had four points last week. So getting production out of the guys that you expect to get production from and seems to be maybe turning a corner for this club. But is it too little too late? You'll have to, we'll obviously all have to wait and see here on how long they can extend this uh, run of wins and if they can put themselves back in contention. And AJ, uh, I never worry about the Tampa Lightning being out of contention. They're not in the top playoff position at the moment, but they're right on the fringe of it. And they're getting yeoman work out of a pair of defensemen that are behind Victor Hedman. So, uh, while while they find a way to stay competitive, they've also maybe developing another diamond in the rough in Nick Perbeeks, who is partnering with Mikhail Sergachev. Both defensemen having a great start offensively to their campaign. 
And as long as they're getting uh, offensive zone starts, you know that they're going to factor into scoring. So it could be some cheap DFS value in Perbeeks as long as he holds on to that role. But certainly Sergachev taking a next step in his development as an offensive piece, all behind the likes of Point, Killorn, Kucherov, and Stamkos, who continue to turn out offense week after week. If there's any kind of a niggling concern, minor little concern at that, I'm going to say, uh, are they overworking their netminder, Vasilevsky, because his numbers aren't where we normally see them. The goals against over three and save percentage under 90%. Brian Elliott needs to get more reps in this mix, AJ, for my money. And I think that they can't wear out their veteran goalie. He's still on the right side of 30 in terms of the age birth certificate, but I, I don't like the fact that, that they're having to play him as much as they are and they're struggling. They've got to give him some rest and they've got to find more of a defensive structure in front of him to take some of the pressure off right now. Well, asking you shall receive, Paul. Brian Elliott going to get the start tonight. And it's not a uh, I don't believe it's a back to back situation for them. So they are going to um, get that uh, resolve, hopefully, and give Vasilevsky a night off. So, again, for your DFS plays, Brian Elliott is going to be the netminder tonight. I'll lead us into Toronto, Paul, but I'm just going to talk the injuries. I'll let you uh, outline the impact of those. Obviously, two big ones on the back end. TJ Brody going to be out for at least two weeks with an oblique injury. Um, That's got him on IR. Jake Muzzin looking like maybe reevaluated in late February. I saw earlier today some uh, speculation that he might be done for the season, um, but they haven't completely closed the door on a late February, maybe early March return. Good side of things. Kyle Clifford is skating again with the team. No clear timeline for him yet, though. And then Matt Murray going to get the start tonight. So he's back. So, Paul, all these injuries – What's the impact here for your Leafs? Well, the way they line up on defense is going to be different from what we've seen early on. Uh, Morgan Riley is now partnered with veteran Jordy Ben. Uh, Ben got a goal in his first game with the club, and uh, we're not looking for offense for him. He's a defensive-minded defenseman that should take some of the responsibility off Morgan Riley in that end of the rink and maybe add to some PK minutes as well to Ben's workload. He looks good in that regard, partnered with a guy like Mark Giordano. Giordano has got to be the calming influence for a guy who's really struggled out of the gate in Justin Hall. This guy seems to be up the ice way too much for my liking, AJ. And for a big physical guy, he's not being much of a presence in front of his own net. So I'm expecting more from him. The duo, though, that that really has a lot of eyeballs on them is the youngsters, Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. Now that Lilligren is healthy, uh, those two will form a pairing. They ec- are expected to be uh, part of the Leaf defense for many years to come. Lots of offensive skill between them. But I want to know what I can get out of them from a defensive standpoint. I have much more faith in Timothy Lilligren's profile. People will not remember that in his draft year, he was rated in the top three until he was dealt about with mononucleosis. He weathered that storm, but it did take a hit in his draft position. He wound up going 17th overall to the Leafs. That could wind up being a real good footnote in uh, in his career uh, from the perspective of Leaf fans everywhere. And then offensively, I'm still looking for somebody other than Alex Kerfoot to fulfill a top six role here. Nick Robertson has been given a couple of turns uh, there, but right now still on the outside looking in. So, uh, so a lot of shuffling going to be going on. This team doesn't seem to have the same roster every night twice in a row, and uh, they're up against the cap, but may get, get some relief uh, 
although at the expense of losing Jake Muzzin for maybe the rest of his career. And that's a tough blow for a guy who was key to this team's fortunes for a few years. Up next, I'll take us into the Vancouver Canucks. I got a look at them in Toronto as the opposition on Saturday. And uh, Bo Horvat's having an outstanding season offensively, AJ. He's rolling up the goal-scoring totals. And among the league leaders, nobody would have forecast that. But here he is with 13 goals in 16 games played. I'm suggesting to you that uh, it's time to sell high on this guy. I don't expect that to continue. Meanwhile, his teammate, uh, Elias Patterson looking every bit like he did a couple of years ago when he was on top of his game and took the league by storm. He got 18 points in 16 games played, and I bought low on him in the offseason. I'm I'm looking pretty good there because he's got better than the point of game so far and rolling with 51 shots on goal in the 16 games played. So a good DFS value play most nights. Still, people are not yet aware of the impact that he has in the offense. When we're talking about top rookie scorers, the name Andre Kuzmet, Kuzmenko was not on the tip of our tongues in the preseason, but here he is with seven goals and 11 assists, uh, 11 points overall in 15 games played. He His role, though, has is, is been diminished in recent games. So it's uh, what have you done lately? And that's kind of rejigged things in the top six. Connor Garland, JT Miller, Brock Besser, and Ilya Mikhaev, all full value above him in the pecking order for, for a top six wing position. And so he's got a battle to maintain that opportunity for himself going forward. Over in Las Vegas, uh, two kind of interesting goalie tidbits here. The first, uh, heading into the season, we thought Laurent Brassois going to be the backup here, the number two option. Robin Leonard goes down. Brassois going to step in, get his really first chance to be a starter. He gets hurt. Then Logan Thompson comes in, really has excelled. Aiden Hill has looked okay. And now Brassois finds himself stuck in the minors right now as the third goalie on this depth chart. So how an injury can really change things there. And then the other thing with Logan Thompson, it's important, you know, you look at some stats and they say good things are happening. You look at other stats, they say bad things. I'm going to say I have some concern looking at Logan Thompson. Yes, the record book shows a six-game winning streak, and that is fantastic. But looking at the last three games, he's really been bailed out by his offense here. Uh, three, six, eight is the save percentage. Uh, in two of those games, he allowed four goals. Uh, and you know, again, offensively gifted teams that we've seen earlier. One of those comes against Buffalo. They've had a real good offense this year. Toronto obviously has put, you know, has players capable of putting up some points and then Ottawa as well. But, uh, I think, you know, dive past the record here on Logan Thompson. And I definitely have a little bit of a concern here. Aiden Hill's last performance wasn't particularly good either. 3-1-1 was his goals against average in a losing effort. So uh, there are some chinks in the armor here for the Golden Knights. Of course, offensively, Chandler Stephenson, six points in the last three games. Jack Eichel, four goals in those contests as well. So there are pieces uh, that are obviously contributing. Phil Kessel with two goals in the last three games. So they've gotten the offensive support they need, but the net miners right now are a little bit of a concern for me. 
And AJ, when you look at the Washington Capitals, the statistics on the goalies hide the fact that they're going to have some concerns going forward. Darcy Kemper and Charlie Lindgren both had goals against average well under three and the save percentages in order as well. But when I look at the depth chart, they took an awful blow with the Dmitry Orlov being sidelined. He's missed the last four games with a lower body injury, and he is, not, is just returning to practice, but he isn't ready to get back in the game shape. And that means a lot of pressure on John, Car- John Carlson to carry the offensive load. And there's a tremendous drop-off in terms of defensive acumen after him with the likes of Eric Gustafsson, Martin Fairberry, and Nick Jensen, none of whom is really known as an outstanding defender on either side of the puck. So they have to hope that Orloff comes back and can anchor a second pairing to take some pressure off Carlson and keep the numbers in order on the def- on the net mining. But also pressure in terms of the injuries uh, up front. Tom Wilson, Carl Hagelin, TJ Oshie, Connor Brown, those are four veteran guys that they expected to be part of the mix here. A couple of them have been out since the beginning of the season, but a couple more added more recently. Even the recently acquired Nicholas Aubé-Cubel, who I got to look at in Toronto, and and uh, before that, we, he, he thrived in Colorado. He's already out of the lineup with his own hurt, so there's a lot of pressure on all aspects of this team to keep afloat in a very competitive division. Finally, in Winnipeg, a decent week uh, in terms of the record here. You've got uh, okay performances. Hellybuck takes two games, goes one and one with a 9-3-0 save percentage. Riddich takes the other game. 9-0-5 was his save percentage as well. Uh, offensively, Kyle Connor, no goals in those three games, but five helpers. Neil Pionk with four points. Josh Morrissey with four as well. Mark Shifley with four goals, which you absolutely love to see. If you are a, a Jets fan, looks like Nikola, uh, Nikolai Ehlers could return uh, in the near future, expected to maybe practice tomorrow. They do have Mason Appleton dealing with an injury, which is a bit of a concern. But if they can get both those guys in the lineup, I think this is a much deeper club than we've seen all season. Uh, and, and that's going to only help these netminers who've been performing pretty well um, you know, to, to start the year. AJ, that's our look around the league. Now it's time for our uh, DraftKings portion of our show before we sign off. And we're going to go through a whole whack of games and take a look at the puck line, the game totals, and the money lines to see which bet and which teams we favor in each of the contests. I'm going to let you kick it off with a look at the Vancouver Canucks at the Buffalo Sabres tonight. Why don't you take us through the, the bets that you like? Yeah, super evenly matched, uh, as you can see on the, the DK Sportsbook here. Money line is minus 110 for both both clubs. So um, I would definitely stay away from the puck line tonight because I don't expect the Sabres to necessarily be able to cover. Um, I'm going to take Vancouver here. I think it's it's good value, minus 110 on the money line. I think they have a very talented team. Buffalo has been a little shaky of late. Uh, they're going with Anderson tonight instead of Comrie. Um, so I like Vancouver on the money line in, in this first game of the night. AJ, then it comes down to the heavyweight tilt number part two, the teams that we love, the Leafs visiting the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like you said in the last game, the uh, lines are pretty equal in terms of totals and the money lines. Where they differ substantially is the puck line. And really, when you factor in an empty net possibility, I'm not shy at all about taking the Leafs at plus 210. I think the Penguins at minus 250 really has very little value uh, to go that length to get 100 bucks uh, out of a $250 investment. So I really think the screaming hot value here is a plus 210 on the Maple Leafs. I haven't seen that big a number in their favor on the puck line in a long time. 
Well, I would actually argue that the alternate puck line, the Penguins minus one and a half goals at plus 195 would actually be the better value because that one will pay off as unlike Paul's here, um, that is just going to go wrong for you. Uh, Jumping into our next game, I'll take a look at the Devils and the Canadians. Devils, obviously, we talked about their winning streak. Heavy favorites here, minus 190. I have uh, real reservations about Montreal. They've got some injuries that have piled up here for them. Um, And so I think this one is another one to maybe consider the puck line. The value for the Devils here isn't huge at just plus 135, but it's obviously better than taking minus 190 on the money line here. I'll take the Devils on the puck line. Uh, We've got Dallas at Tampa the next game. And uh, Dallas Club surprisingly has has their defensive game in real good shape right now and it's a perfect time to be taking on the lightning because they capitalize on mistakes the stars aren't making too many right now so for me i'm looking at these lines and i'm thinking the over under maybe is the best place to go the line is set at six over is one minus 115 under is 105 i think i'm going to go to the underside in this game looking for vasilevsky to do his thing and and ottinger at the other end to keeping pace for the last of the uh, 6 o'clock games here, we'll look at Washington and the Panthers. Florida, the favorites at minus 195. I think I simply take Washington on the money line here. You get plus 165 value, really good return. You've got Bobrovsky starting tonight after having watched from the sidelines for the last three games while Spencer Knight got uh, some starts. Bobrovsky's numbers to start the year He's allowed three or more goals in each of his last seven appearances, so really hasn't been doing well. If you want to, you could shy away from picking either team. I think the over is seriously in play with Bob Roski's struggles to start the year. That comes in at six and a half for the total. You get minus 105, so decent value on that. But I'll take the plus 175 and take the Capitals over the Panthers. Boy, the next game is a bit of a dog's breakfast when you consider the Flyers are slumping again and Columbus may be the worst team in the in the Eastern Conference. So not much to choose from in terms of quality or even momentum recently. Uh, if there's any value to be had, I think it's going to be Columbus on the puck line. Plus 230 is the bet for the home side. Again, I'm counting on it being a close game. Maybe an empty net goal gets to that two-goal margin to give us the the win and the payoff here. But I just can't see going minus 275 for the Flyers on the opposite side of that or even looking at the over-under thinking that there's value on either side of it either. You don't know whether it's going to be a tight game or a all-out offensive barrage. So for me, the safe and smart play, take Columbus at home on the puck line. For our next game here, we're going to look at Minnesota and Nashville, which is a pretty evenly uh, squared up side. Again, another game that's coming in at minus 110 for both clubs uh, on the money line here. It's going to be flurry uh, going uh, tonight for the wild. And, uh, you know, maybe this is a bit of a homer pick, but that tips the scales for me uh, in terms of of where to go in this game. I, I like them better in this one. So I'll take them minus 110. But again, you're looking at pretty much a, uh, a, a, a toss up here. If you want to get crazy in this one and find something, you know, kind of out of the box to bet on this one that'll come in. Uh, I like to call it a little bit of a sprinkle. You can get Minnesota to win in a shutout at plus uh, 1100 here. So really good return on value. Flurry is the active leader in uh, shutouts among active NHL net miners. He's 12th all time on the shutout list. So uh, certainly 
a strong possibility that he could pull off one at any point uh, in his career here. Uh, so again, I think the smart play is to just stick to the money line. But if you're looking for something, just a little fun to play with a big playoff payoff, Minnesota Wild to win in a shutout plus 1100. The next game features San Jose visiting uh, fun city, as I call it in Las Vegas. And uh, of course, the Knights have been outstanding in, in recent weeks and probably way ahead of Sharks in a head-to-head matchup. Uh, if you had to throw any money down, you'd definitely put it on Vegas. I'm doing the same thing tonight. Little value on the puck line, minus 105. Maybe you go to the underside thinking that they're going to keep put the, the clamps on the Sharks' offense and maybe you go uh, to the alternate line instead of going under six or under five and look for the better payoff. But it's even it's plus 105 at the under six. So maybe that's where I land on this game. For the last game of the night, we're looking at Detroit and Anaheim. The Ducks have been um, the uh, worst uh, defensive team in the month of November here, allowing more goals than any other club in the league. The money line is pretty even, pretty tight. Ducks minus 105, Detroit minus 115. I think because of all the goals that Anaheim's been allowing, you could consider the over here, over six and a half for minus 105. But I think I'd rather just take a couple of goal scorers for Detroit. You can get Dylan Larkin to score at plus 150. Lucas Raymond, another option at plus uh, 180. So there's some options there for guys to target. Um, unfortunately, I'm not seeing uh, Bertuzzi as a an option on the DK Sportsbook right now just because he is in his first game back from injury. Um, but consider grabbing, you know, Larkin, Raymond. Uh, maybe you even look at Dominic Kubelik at plus 200. Get some of these anytime goal scorers here for Detroit. AJ, as we sit here recording this show, it's November 15th, but I've got the playoff feeling tingling in my bones, and I know you do too because our teams go head-to-head. We're looking forward to puck drop only a couple of hours from now. And uh, it's kind of neat that we can tease this with each other early in the season. There's a third matchup between our teams early next week that we'll be talking about next week. I hope to heck I can talk about one win. You're not going to sweep me, are you? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what else did you expect me to say? Of course we are. <laughs> All right, AJ. I'll, I'll let that be your last words for this week. Thanks to all for listening to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. As always, we remind you that we're here to assist you with all things related to your enjoyment of fantasy hockey. So we encourage you to send your comments or questions on Twitter, where you can also follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJSholes24. Stay tuned for the barbs between us. I think it's going to be entertaining reading on Twitter over the next few days. And we'll look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. So long, everybody.